Let us pray. Uh, this morning, Lord, we welcome your presence in our midst, Lord. We pray that our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes would all be open to see um, your truth this morning for us and how you are encouraging us and empowering us to live as your people, as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series, The Old, the New, and You. Um, and thanks for tuning into those so far. Thanks for joining us online, if that's you. Uh, we're building a foundation here uh, with which we intend to deal with some very difficult things that our world is facing right now and our culture is facing. And so I want to recap a little bit of what we've talked about so far. Um, this series is about God's authority in scriptures. This series is about how we as a people of God, as followers of Jesus, uh, if we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, there's an implication there that our lives are being lived with Jesus Christ as Lord, not just as the Savior of our sins, but as the Lord of our lives, meaning that we submit to our Lord. We submit to his will. We submit to his desires and his plans for our lives. So this is a series about our lives coming into line with God's authority. It's not a series about us trying to make the scriptures or God's authority match our will. That's what sin does in us. That's the desire that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, consciously or unconsciously. But really, this is about God's authority and how it speaks to us today and how it um, really demands that our lives become more and more like Christ Jesus. We talked about a few big things so far. We talked about uh, creation. Allison did a couple of weeks ago. Creation 1 and 2, God's design for creation. And we talked about Genesis 3, the fall, how sin entered the world. And everything that God has designed on some level got corrupted. Uh, most of all, maybe humanity, you could say. And in Genesis 3, we talked about some main themes that developed, um, that God imparted on his people from the beginning, this theme that there is one true God. We called that monotheism, one true God who is creator of all. And we talked about the giving of the law in Exodus, how God needed to bring clarity to his people so that we could better understand what was right, what was wrong, what was going to contribute to the abundant life God wanted for humanity, and what was going to undermine and destroy that abundant life. And we talked about how the Old Testament and the New Testament consistently reinforce these beliefs, these main themes. And so that leads us into today. Today we're talking about Babylon. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, you maybe have just seen Babylon mentioned here and there. But Babylon is important. It figures prominently into the Old Testament. And it figures prominently into the New Testament in Revelation chapter 18. That chapter brings Babylon into the picture as the great opposition to God, just as it tends to be here in Daniel's time that we're going to dig into. And it paints this picture of Babylon as God's opposition, and Babylon falls. It is destroyed. It is cast down just before God brings the new heaven and the new earth, the promise that we live under as Christians at the end of the book of Revelation. So we're bringing Babylon into this conversation because it illustrates so well the power struggle between God's people and those who worship other gods. And it illustrates so well the spiritual battle, the spiritual battle that exists between evil, evil powers, evil forces, and God's people. Because not everything in this battle is seen, not everything in this battle is defined, a lot of it goes on behind the scenes. And this spiritual battle is front and foremost of every season, every season then and now where God's people face persecution, face adversity, or a systematic cultural dismantling of what the church believes and stands for. 
This is the spirit of Babylon. Babylon matters today, and as we've said a few times before, we have this preacher that we like to listen to. He says, the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened, it tells us what always happens. And so when we better understand Babylon's relationship with God in the Old Testament and with God's people, we're going to better understand the struggles that we are facing today as God's people in the world. So let's set the stage for our encounter with Babylon. And there's two specific texts that you heard read by Laura earlier uh, that we're going to focus on today. But I want to bring you up to speed here. So I'm going to give you a quick little Cliff Notes version of Genesis and where we've been. So Genesis begins with the creation narrative, right? Chapters 1 and 2. We have the fall in chapter 3, which we dug into last week. Chapter 4 of Genesis, that's Cain and Abel. That tells the story of two of the sons of Adam and Eve. Um, And Cain kills Abel, the first murder uh, recorded in scriptures, because his jealousy and hatred that God looked more favorably on Abel's offering than he did on his own. So Genesis 4 and 5 then covers some genealogy, Adam's descendants up to Noah. Genesis 6 talks about the corruption of the world, how bad it is, right? And it introduces Noah, and then we see the flood and the aftermath of the flood and the descendants of Noah from that point. And that brings us all the way up here to Genesis 11. We see in Genesis 11 the Tower of Babel. And this chapter comes right before God makes his first covenant with Abram, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So that's the biblical context. That's what we worked through. That's where we're at. And I want to give you a little historical context because we're getting into an era where we can put some dates on a calendar, which I really appreciate um, when we get into biblical history. So Adam's birth or, or Abraham, Abraham, Abram's birth or Abraham is estimated to be around 2160 or so BC. The earliest reference that we have of Babylon as a town or a city outside of the biblical narrative, outside of the scriptures, comes from a clay tablet from the reign of Sargon of Akkad and the Akkadian Empire from the era of 2334 to 2279 BC. So these things kind of line up pretty well, I think. The historical records and the biblical records both point to Babylon or Babel, the Tower of Babel, predating the 22nd or 23rd century BC, so roughly 2300 BC. And we could be talking about a few hundred years before that. We could be talking about a thousand. We don't know for sure, because in Genesis, as you would read through those first 10 chapters, it gives us how long some of these people lived, but it doesn't give us dates, right? And we don't know how those generations overlap. So we could be talking about a couple hundred or a thousand years. We don't know. And then Babylon as a city also plays into the conversation as we move into our Daniel text here in a little bit. Babylon in 1800 or so BC was thought to be the largest city and power of that day. This would be right around the time where the Hebrews were beginning to be enslaved in Egypt. So to the west you have Egypt, and then you have the promised land in the middle. To the east you have this Babylonian empire. And then fast forward to 600 BC, so a mere 2,700 years ago, right? 2,600 years ago in Daniel's time that we'll look at. Babylon was the same. It was this consolidation of power of many different cultures into one empire, and many historians guess that Babylon of Daniel's era was the first city, may have been the first city, to exceed 200,000 residents. Um, That's a pretty big deal. I mean, Des Moines proper is well over 300,000 residents, so this is a big city we're talking about for it being 2,600 years ago. So let's talk more about the Tower of Babel. Uh, Our Genesis 11 text talks about the Tower of Babel. What happened at Babel? 
So the world at this time had one language in common, the text tells us. And humans think that they can build this tower right up to the heavens, right up to God, to make a name for themselves. This is pride talking, making a name for themselves. This is pride and not, not a good pride. I know we throw that word around as a good thing in our culture. Um, this is not a good pride. They had this fear that they were going to be scattered uh, that they were going to be sort of like disillusioned with their power, with themselves. And they are so accomplished at this task that they are working on that God, seeing the extent of this pride, of this evil, he scatters them and confuses their language. So God steps in. He intercedes. He mixes things up. Why does he do this? Genesis eleven six 6 and 7 tells us that God views this tower initiative as only the beginning only the beginning of the evil that they could accomplish. And so to put off that growing evil, to delay it, to disrupt it, the people are scattered, their language is confused, and the name Babel is given to the place. Babel or Babylon literally means confusion or to confuse. We also see it used as to mix up. We see it in some recipes in the Old Testament as well. Things get entangled, intermixed, they become inseparable, They become incongruent with what they were. And so humanity was mixed up, confused, scattered. But even though God scatters them in Genesis 11, right, Babylon doesn't go away. It's not like this idea just stopped in its tracks. It's not like the sin behind the idea was stopped. Even though God scatters and confuses them in Genesis 11, and it becomes harder for humanity to unseat God, The same sin that inspired that still lives on in humanity, right? What humanity does in its sin and brokenness has ongoing consequences. And this is one of the things that we learned from Babel. And even beyond the generation, obviously, beyond the generation in which that sin was committed, uh, remember last week when we talked about original sin, uh, the belief, the doctrine that the Old Testament followers of God believe, that the New Testament followers of God believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot ever do enough good to outweigh the bad, and so all of us, all of humanity needs a savior. And so this sin that happens in one generation doesn't die with that generation. It continues, it goes on. The sin endures even though the tower is destroyed. Sounds like the Lord of the Rings. That's not in my notes, but just made that connection in my head. You know, Mordor is thrown down, but the evil that started Mordor still existed, right? So if you're into the literary stuff, really good parallel right there. So that was Babylon of the pre-Abraham era, before Abraham, before this, you know, recorded biblical history starts to get a little more solid on dates. And that shows the need for God to intervene to curb the evil. And God is one who intervenes consistently for God's people in the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus. We see it for Israel. We see it, God intervening for all through Jesus Christ one day. So God is consistently one who intervenes to combat this evil. So We see Israel in this fight with Babylon, the nation. We're fast-forwarding a little bit. There's an ongoing fight with confusion of God's creation, God's laws, and God's love. And Babylon becomes almost symbolic or representational of the struggle between God's people and evil. And that's why we talk about Babylon today. Babylon has a way of undermining God and conforming those that it conquers to its own gods and to its own ideals. We'll see that clearly in our Daniel passage today. But we're also, we're also going to see God's faithfulness. 
as a handful of Israelites stand firm in their faith of the one true God, even though they were threatened with things like lion's dens and fiery furnaces. So the battle started before 2300 B.C. We're fast-forwarding now to 600 B.C. And the book of Daniel is an account of God's people in Babylon. We know a lot more about this era and what it was like because that's when this book was written. It came out of that season. Uh, This is the Babylon ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the context of what the Old Testament calls the Babylonian exile. How did they get in Babylon? Why are they exiled? Here's why. Generations of Israel's leaders before this, were unfaithful, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we don't know all of the evil things that they did, but if you look through some of the genealogies and the kings in, in Israel's history in the Old Testament, it simply says that for a king. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So generations of leaders before Babylon did that. They worshiped other gods. They did not follow the one true God who had established them as a nation and delivered them from slavery. And so the consequences were that God's people were held captive, they were carried away to Babylon to live in exile and exist as second-class slaves or citizens. So let's dig into our Daniel text. Daniel 1, verses 1 and part of verse 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. So this tells me something. God gave Israel into their hands. God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. That means something. That means that God is going to do something good out of this, right? God is going to do something in this season, in this time of exile, to teach his people, to correct his people, and to inspire those who remain faithful to him. So God is active here. God is not stepping away and letting it fall apart. God is active. He's still present. Continuing with verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the land of Shinar, a.k.a. Babylonia, same place, same region, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So Israel is uprooted from their holy land. Many of them are carried away to Babylon. And out of them, many who are royal and noble are chosen. Those with influence, those with power, those who their people would have looked upon and said, that could be the leader. This is the example that I'm going to look to. And these are young, good-looking Talented people. Does this sound like any culture that you know of today? Who do we put on a pedestal? Those who we are royal. How many people just love the the queen and king of England? They just love it. All across the world, right? We put them on a pedestal because they're royal, they're noble. Um, In our culture today, those who are young, good-looking, and talented receive all of our praise and our accolades in the secular culture, right? Babylon knows what they're doing. They're getting those influencers from Instagram and from TikTok. They're they're pulling those people in because those are going to be the people. If they get them turned, they're going to affect all of the other Israelites. And they are taught this literature and this language of the Chaldeans, or in other words, they are conditioning them, they are re-educating them to become Babylonians and not Israelites. To become people of confusion and of false gods rather than people of the one true God. 
Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So they're going to learn to speak how they speak in Babylon. They're going to learn to worship like the people in Babylon worship, and they're going to learn to eat and drink how the people in Babylon eat and drink. This isn't just an ideological conversion or educational conversion. It's cultural. It's all that they are. It's going to affect everything. Verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He renames them. Daniel he calls Belteshazzar. Hananiah he calls Shadrach. Mishael he calls Meshach. And Azariah he calls Abednego. These four young men are renamed. And this is important then and it's important now. Because God gives you a name and an identity. And from your God-given identity, the enemy wants to change it to something else. He doesn't want you to be known in the way that God wants you to be known and identify. That's why when we have fifth graders come into Epic here, the whole first year is about our identity in Christ, because that needs to be the foundation in how we live and operate as a people. So Babylon is, in the spirit of evil behind Babylon, is taking God-given names and changing them to reflect the pagan religion. And I'm going to walk through each one of the names here, because you can't make this stuff up, right? So... Here we go. So Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. And Belteshazzar means, O lady, wife of God Bel, protect the king. Literally, it's changed to a pagan name to honor a pagan god of Babylon. And this lady being addressed in the name is, is, the, is the wife of Bel, who's kind of their supreme god in Babylon. Sounds a lot like Baal. Probably the same evil spirit the same evil spiritual power, just a slightly different name for this time, right? So, from God is my judge to, O lady, protect the king. Then, Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. His name is changed to Shadrach, which means command of Aku, or inspired of Aku. Aku is the Babylonian moon god. So, his new name gives tribute to another false god. Mishael. Mishael means who is what God is, or who is like God. This is a name of reverence for God. His name's changed to Meshach, which means either one of two things. I am of little account, or who is like Aku, the moon god. And then finally, the fourth one, Azariah. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. And his name is changed to Abednego, which means servant of the shining one, Nebo. Nebo was the Babylonian god of writing and wisdom, so he goes from God is my helper to Nebo is my wisdom. I have goosebumps. It's just weird. Like, you, you, you can't make this up. This is how the enemy undermines somebody's identity. And their names are changed. Instead of to glorify the one true God, they're changed to be oriented towards counterfeit gods and false gods. Away from the one who has saved them and their people time and time again to one who has set themselves up in the seat of God who is not God and has no authority to do so. So that's what these young men are dealing with in Babylon. And as you read on in Daniel, I encourage you to do so, they, they stand firm. They're faithful. They honor God. And so what does Babylon in the Old Testament, this is what Babylon did, this is what Babylon stood for, this is how they operated time and time again as an as a ongoing, consistent force against God's good and God's people. 
What does the spirit of Babylon still do today? Well, back then, Babylon undermined their belief in the one true God. Today, I think that happens frequently. We are encouraged to accept any and all beliefs and religions as equal. And we're called closed-minded or we're called uneducated if we adhere to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. It's what we face in our Babylon today. Babylon then, he confused their God-honoring names with ones that honored pagan gods. Today, Babylon undermines God's given identities for his people. Now, our culture values self-identity, not God-identity, self-promotion, not God-promotion, self-marketing, not God-marketing, and it tells us that we decide who we are, and anyone who doesn't agree is just a hater, right? And we dismiss them. That's the Babylon we live in today. Babylon also undermined and confused their marriages. Today, the enemy still hates healthy, God-centered marriages because those marriages, the New Testament tells us, reflects Jesus Christ and his church. And our society has fallen into the belief that any and all intimacy that God reserved for marriage is permissible and it's even encouraged outside of marriage, do what you want, and it's even promoted and marketed to elementary school kids. That is our Babylon today. Babylon undermined and confused their God-given identity as male and female. These three men, if they were in the house of the king, these four men under the control of the chief eunuch, they were also made eunuchs. They were demasculated. And today the enemy wants to do the same thing, to confuse us in our understanding of male and female, to confuse and question God's design from the beginning in creation. The enemy wants us to be okay with any and every idea that comes forth, except for the idea that maybe God created male and female and meant it. That is our Babylon today. And this is why there's so much division and argument in our culture about some of these things, because so many people have turned from the understanding that God set in the beginning, that God reiterates time and time again, and they've taken on other ideas of what is true and good, because Babylon infiltrates, it undermines, it coerces, it confuses. And Babylon ultimately, then and now, tried everything it could do to re-educate and reform God's people into people that no longer knew God or even cared that there was one. As long as they bowed to Nebuchadnezzar or whoever else was a self-appointed king god of the time, right, they would be fine. And today, our culture is secular. Today, our culture... Um, people who want to follow God are supposed to be quiet about that and not bug anybody, um, and as long as we bow to the government or the agenda of those who are ruling right now or the platform that is trending on social media in any given moment, which changes daily, right? As long as we submit to those things, we're going to be fine. That's what our world tells us today. And many people, even people who want to follow Jesus, even people in the churches don't even realize that they're believing and living according to the counterfeit ideas and ideals of Babylon. Sometimes we don't even realize that we've changed. This is why it's important to know these things. It's why it's important to study the Old and the New Testament. It's important to know this about Babylon and how the Old Testament interacts with Babylon because the same things happen today. And wherever God is at work bringing truth and certainty and clarity and identity in Christ and holiness, the enemy works to bring confusion, subversion, and counterfeit gods. 
And by better understanding how this plays out then, we will better understand how we can see it, pray against it, and be the light that Christ shines into the darkness in the world that we live in today. So these themes that we're talking about, we talked about creation and God's design, we talked about monotheism, sin and the law, and now we've talked about Babylon. These themes lead us somewhere. And that is to this, that ever since the fall, humanity has needed and still needs a savior. The depth of the sin and the waywardness, the depth of our confusion, known and unknown, it cannot be dealt with apart from God on any level. We need Jesus. And these themes lead us to better understand the set-apartness that God wants his people to live with, the set-apartness that Christ lived with, and, and, and the one he intends for his followers, his disciples, when he says, come follow me, come be set apart with me. God desires his people to live differently according to his design, and, and Christ fulfills that and gives us an example of what abundant life is. We don't set ourselves apart to remove ourselves from culture. We set ourselves apart to witness. And finally, there is a need, these themes remind us of a need for God's people today to turn wholly to God and to resist succumbing to the powers of Babylon and darkness because those forces are alive and well in the world today. Friends, we were created, we were created to reflect the light of our creator. We are image bearers of God. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We are called to reflect that light into the world around us. And may we grow in these truths, may we grow in this understanding in a way that will brighten the light, that will brighten our witness and, and the church's appeal and Jesus' appeal to the world that needs that light. So if you're sitting here today, I just like sprayed you with a fire hose of Babylon information, I get it. Um, it could have been 10 sermons. The, the sermon series that we prepped out of um, from another pastor was 10 long, 10 sermons long. You get it all in one, right? So... Uh, Maybe you're overwhelmed by this. Maybe it's just the amount of information, or maybe you've never seen this parallel, like between Babylon and the world that we live in today. Um, I would ask that you consider it, and I would ask that you would read more of the book of Daniel. See the trials that these four young men go through, and see how God is faithful all through it all in the midst of it. See their faith in God, even in the midst of this beast that is trying to convert them and how God empowers and sustains his people in the midst of that. So maybe you're not overwhelmed, but maybe today you're seeing things in your own beliefs and your own patterns that look a little bit like Babylon. And I'm not here to call you out, I'm not here to shame you, but I am here to proclaim that God is good, he is gracious, he is forgiving, and he is loving, and that any part of our lives who need his grace and light, God has promised. God has promised to give it through Jesus Christ. So I'd ask that you be open to the Holy Spirit doing some work in your life, in your mind, in your beliefs, in your practices. We all need it every single day. We need God's power working on us and bringing us more into Christ-likeness rather than Babylon-likeness in the world we live in. And then finally, maybe you're here today and you're lamenting because you see the world around us and you see Babylon. I know I do in many ways. And let me encourage you, if that's you, that God is still good. God has worked to bring good out of every evil thing that our culture and that our enemy has thrown at us. 
God has remained faithful, and he will bring good out of this season too. And let me remind you, this is really important. Our culture is not our enemy. The people are not our enemy. Our mission is the people. Our only enemy is sin and the evil one. Our mission is the people. Our mission is the culture. And so nowhere in here is there a license to be unloving towards the people that God loves, right? Just want to clear that right now. So here's my prayer for us, that we would accept our God-given commission to proclaim Jesus to baptize, to teach the Jesus way, not the world's way, not Babylon's way, but Jesus' way, according to God's love and grace. I believe God can do that in us. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. Um, We're thankful for the testimony of those who have gone before us. We're thankful um, not for the evil that has been inflicted upon this world through sin, and through the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of evil, but we are thankful, God, you remain faithful. You remain true. You remain a God who intercedes, who breaks into the darkness to shine light. The biggest way we see that is in Jesus Christ. That while the world was still lost in its sin, Christ Jesus died. For the sinners he died, that we might be restored to our creator, the one true God, that we might find forgiveness, that we might find purpose, and that we might find peace in a world that is at war. So Lord, we praise you. Um, We pray, God, that in the coming days you would take whatever pieces here have resonated with our hearts, with our spirits. Um, You would help us to chew on those and meditate on your word. May we seek you in prayer. May we listen for your voice in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.